uh, today I hope that you will be refreshed in his word, that you will be challenged and shaped into how God wants to form you. And so uh, my prayer would be that we've come with humbled hearts, uh, ready to be guided by God's message. And so we're going to dig in this morning to Ruth chapter 3 as we continue our teaching series through the book of Ruth, Go Into the Unknown. And you've got your notes there in front of you, or you can go right online to parkwaybaptist.org, click on latest message, you'll see all of the notes right there for today, as well as the opportunity for you to plug in your own thoughts, and then you can email that to yourself and have those notes on your files. And uh, so Ruth chapter 3 this, I'm really excited about this topic today because it's one that God is really dealing in my heart over, and I feel like the timing is obviously God-led. As we prepared this whole series through the book of Ruth, it was a, a teaching series that I had scheduled two years ago, uh, was really looking forward to digging into to the book of Ruth. We launched it maybe five, six, maybe even eight weeks ago. I think this is number, uh, number nine in the series. And, um, and so for me to sit back and watch how God, in his perfect timing, put together this topic and this message for such a time as this right now in my own life, I think you're going to find it to be God's moving in your life as well. And uh, so we're going to dig into that in just a moment. Now, many of us know that the topic of patience is one that we don't really like to think about too often and is certainly not something we want to pray for. Uh, we don't pray for God to develop our patience because that, that's like a very dangerous prayer um, because he'll do it and we're like, wait a minute, that's not really what I meant, um, but it really unfolds in front of us. There was this news report that I found that delivered the story of, a, of a, how an unmet desire brought upon a, a really catastrophe and an emergency. An unmet desire brought on an emergency. Now, how many of you would say that you live through, on a daily basis, maybe a weekly basis, your life is not daily this miserable, but you would say, unmet desires seem to happen in my life all too often. Any unmet desires in your life? And you're like, I don't understand when and why or how it's going to come about. Well, this is one of those kind of stories. It's pretty tragic. Evidently, a 27-year-old woman in Fort Pierce, Florida, she walked into a McDonald's to get a 10-piece McNugget meal. Now, after standing in line for some time, she finally made it to the counter, and she ordered her value meal. The employee took her order, took her money, only to return to tell her moments later that they had run out of McNuggets. Now, you know those McNuggets, those delicious, low-sodium, fat-free delights, okay? And, and they were all out of them. I mean, this is McDonald's. How can you be out of your McNuggets? And so when they told her this, they said, now you can, ma'am, I'm really sorry, but you can choose something else from the menu. Well, the customer refused and demanded, just give me my money back. Now, this is a McDonald's, not Chick-fil-A, all right? So the response is going to be very McDonald's-like. And so the employee apologized again and told her that all sales are final. <laughs> really? Okay. So he did remind her that she could get something else off of the menu, anything, even if it cost more at no extra charge. Ooh, McDonald's stepping up. Okay. She says, no way. I insist it's either McNuggets or my money back. 
Well, she couldn't be coaxed into eating one of those delicious Big Macs or a McRib or even a quarter pounder with cheese and jumbo fries. She became so irritated at the counter clerk that she stood at the counter and dialed on her phone 911. Not once, three different times. I mean, this is an emergency. So as they arrived, the poor lady never got her McNuggets, but the police did give her a ticket for misusing the 911 emergency system. So an unmet desire led to impatience, which led to an emergency call, which led to a ticket with a nice hefty fine for misusing the emergency system. That's a bizarre story, right? Uh, but it's sometimes how we function with God. Like, here it is. We show up at his counter, and we say, God, I would really like this, and this, and this. And when he comes back and says, I'm sorry, but the timing is not right for you to have your McNuggets of life, but there are so many other blessings that I want to give to you at this time, we say, uh-uh, if it's not my McNuggets, it's nothing at all. And we look at a bizarre story like this, and we think, this, this doesn't happen, but too often, this is how we encounter our spiritual journey. It's like we have all of our list of value meals that we think we deserve in life, and God is just there on the other side of the counter to ring it up and say, have a nice day and enjoy your value meal today. And when we don't get that, oh man, all lets loose. And we begin to blame God, we begin to question God, we begin to, to think like, okay, I, I've invested so much, and why isn't this returning to my investment? Or I have lived this long for so many years this way, why is this not returning any value, no bang for my buck? And so we find ourselves with these demands as we try to partake of something that we want, but God does not give it to us at that time. Sometimes it's something that we would have never chosen in the first place, but in God's will, he says, this is what's good for you. Now, Stephen Davey said this, he said, one of the greatest tests of a Christian's faith is standing at a vacant counter waiting patiently on the sovereign direction of God. An even greater test of our faith is when God reappears to handle something we never would have chosen. Hmm. Now, many of us can relate to Margaret Thatcher, the former prime minister of England, who once said, I am extremely patient, provided I get my own way in the end. Hmm. Well, we know that's not real patience. As you see in your notes, The Valley of Vincent is a book which records the prayers of the Puritans. This is one of the prayers that was recorded. It says, when thou wouldst guide me, I control myself. When thou wouldst be sovereign, I rule myself. When I should depend on thy provisions, I supply myself. When I should submit to thy providence, I follow my own will. When I should honor and trust thee, I serve myself. Lord, it is my chief desire to bring my heart back to thee. I think if you look at those lines of that poem there or that prayer, there are probably many of us in here who would say, all right, well, that, that line doesn't relate to me. I'll cross that one out with a big black Sharpie. But boy, I need a yellow bright highlighter to say that's, that's my line. Because that's the line that would describe me 
When thou wouldst be sovereign, I try to rule myself. Or, or when you try to show your provisions, I just supply for myself. Or when you show your providence, I just follow my own way. I'm trying to serve myself. So this true confession of a heart that admits how difficult it is to wait on God, how difficult to surrender without any guarantees from God. And so in today's text here with Ruth and Naomi, we see one of the longest days of their life, and it's all about patience. Would you join me in chapter 3, verse number 13? So the story picks up and says, Terry, this night, this is Boaz speaking to Ruth, who has shown up at the threshing floor and has spent the night there, who has uncovered his feet, Jewish custom. He gets cold, wakes up, and uh, asks who she is, what she's there for. She is basically with a midnight proposal uh, for marriage. And so he says in verse 12, now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Albeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Things get a little complicated. Here's verse 13. Tarry this night, Ruth, and it shall be in the morning that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman, well, then let him do the kinsman part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee as the Lord liveth. Now lie down, sleep until the morning. And she lay at the feet until the morning. She arose up before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Verse 15, also he said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, these six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. And then said she, this is Naomi's response, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. This morning, we dig into this text with Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. It's playing out right in front of us, a message for all of us to hear clearly Sit still. Father, lead us through this text this morning. Bring to light the truths that we need in our life. Help it to be eye-opening, life-shattering, and spiritually guiding. Help us to be free from the distractions of the rest of our day or the the busy week ahead of us or the, the weights of guilt that we seem to try to carry and hide from others. Free us from the distractions of doubt or regret or things that we might be battling with in our own minds. And then allow us just to come before your presence with a submissive heart that asks for you to teach us. I pray that you would give us your message today. We show our full dependency on you in this matter. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, many of you were here last week. You remember the midnight proposal. You remember everything that built up to that in verse number 12. And according to the Old Testament law, Ruth's kinsman redeemer would, would buy up the family estate. This would have been Elimelech, her father-in-law's estate and all that he had because he died and then uh, Ruth's husband died. And so now Naomi and Ruth are trying to survive and have all of the estate. There was just one little catch to this whole deal with Boaz. And the catch was that, unfortunately, there was a nearer kinsman than Boaz. 
And so Boaz responds and says, by this Jewish tradition, we, we have to go and find this man, give him the opportunity, and, and see what he will say. Now, we'll again come to that later down the road, and it's really not important to us unless you've already read ahead and know the answer. Today is not important for us to know if Boaz and Ruth are going to connect. We know that Ruth and Boaz are madly in love with one another. They've gone through all the proper steps. They are, they are pure and they are just in their approach and what they're doing. But the lesson in these verses are really much more important than the finale of the story of love. Because what we see here is an incredible picture played out as the bride of Christ having to sit still and wait. So Ruth is anxious. She's excited. We see that in the text. We'll come to that in just a moment. But, but what is going to happen? What is this amazing, remarkable demonstration of character that is going to be seen in the, the honesty of Boaz, the patience of Naomi, and then the submission of Ruth? Well, we see here in our text, in verses 13 through 15, there is this, this promise and then this waiting and this comment made by Boaz reveals his true passion, his emotion. He is literally saying, by the life of Yahweh. He said, as the Lord liveth, end of verse number three. So he is saying, as by the life of Yahweh, the one true God, the one that I follow, the one that you have turned to, the one whose wings you sit under, the, the one that you have walked away from your false idols in Moab, the one have you have left all of home, all of mom's chamber, you've left all of your family and friends and all your connections to walk away to follow Yahweh, the one true God. And so this promise here is saying that he is making an oath or a vow to Ruth. He will redeem her at all cost, and she can believe his promise, and she has this great assurance that she can believe not only that he is going to keep his word, but that the same promise that she believes in Yahweh, that God is her God. So Boaz not only makes a promise, but he makes a provision for Ruth. He promises her he'll do everything he can in his power to redeem her, but he also is going to provide for her. You saw that in the passage where he says, bring your veil, verse 15, and, and hold it. And he, she holds it up and he measures six measures of barley and she takes it back home. So he gives her enough grain the next morning to meet her and Naomi's needs for at least two more weeks. And um, early next, the next morning, Ruth heads home. Boaz goes to the city gates where the near kinsmen would have been. And uh, he's got a, a plan that he has formulated, and it begins to take shape, and he is making this thing work. That's Boaz. That's his commitment. That's his honesty. That's his integrity. That's who he is. So we think of this promise. We think of this promise and waiting. So bride of Christ, Christians, let's ask ourselves that same question. What promise of God am I waiting on? Like, what is it that you know is a promise of God that you're still sitting still and just waiting on God to do? It's not easy, but it's necessary. And the reality is, although I don't know everybody's story in here, I do know a few, and I know that it's clearly playing out that you're just waiting on God. 
You may be bombarding heaven's gates with your prayers, the throne room of God, every day, passionately and fervently about a matter. And God's still answering to sit still and wait. Some of you are studying and you're reading and you're training and you're preparing for a matter, for an issue in your life. You're doing everything you can to be ready as you sit still and wait for God. There's some of you in here who you have experienced one thing after another in your life and it has made you in tune to that and you are waiting and you're hoping and you're just having to sit still, waiting on God. So what promise of God are you waiting on? What distractions in your life keep you from sitting still and waiting? What are those distractions? What do they look like? It's not just impatience, okay, because that's the total opposite of, of waiting on God. But the distractions of our life can become our emotions. You know, if you allow your emotions to control you, they can really take over your mind and distract you from the ways of God. They can begin to cause you to feel like you're walking all alone as if God is not really carrying you through these difficult times. Some of you are still just determined that you're going to carry the backpack of guilt and, and burden, and you're just going to carry that because that is, that is your burden to care, to carry. And, and you're not going to let anybody else be worried about it. That's just, that is my cross to bear. That is what I have done with my life. Those are my choices, and now I'm going to carry that. And even though God promises that if you'll just cast your care on him because he cares for you and he's not going to leave you or forsake you, he's not going to depart from you, he's not going to fail you, it, none of that matters because you're like, well, I've got my cool backpack and I'm just going to try to make it on my own. And you've got to go back to the Puritan prayer to not cross out lines, but to highlight the last line that says, God, I need you to shape me. I need you to take a hold of my heart. And I need you to show yourself real in my life and remove the distractions that are causing me to walk away or to turn away from you. That's what Peter did on the, on the Sea of Galilee when he walked with great boldness. Like none of the other guys said, if it's really you, Jesus, let me bid me to come unto you in the water. The guys are like, what, what in the world? Well, Peter, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, come. So Peter says, all right, takes a step, two, three, four, approaches Jesus, eyes locked into Jesus until distractions came. And when Jesus promised him to just come and you'll be all right, Peter then followed the distractions of the howling winds and the crashing waves and water probably hitting him in the face and he began to become fearful and he took his eyes off of Jesus and immediately began to sink so what are the distractions taking you away from the promises of God in your life label them identify them don't brush them under a rug don't pretend that they're not detrimental don't pretend like they're not there and when you're looking at the distractions, what are the weaknesses that are partnering with your distractions? What are the weaknesses that you're not willing to deal with that keep you from waiting? In verses 16 and 17, we see the, the next truth here in this text is that we see this, this question and answer that is going to fuel this, this, um, this need for patience. And in verse 16... When she, Ruth, came to her mother-in-law's house, she said, 
who art thou, my daughter? Now, we can read it in a lot of different ways with that question mark. And so we could say that Naomi was shocked at the arrival of Ruth and, who art thou, my daughter? Or, who art thou? Really confused. But what we would find here with this question is Naomi, she's not going senile, okay? She's not losing her mind. She doesn't have eye boogers in her eyes first thing in the morning, so she can't really clearly see, all right? None of that's going on in the text. In the Hebrew text here, we would find that what she's really expressing, it carries the idea of who art thou now? Now, remember, Naomi has sent Ruth to do what? To propose marriage to Boaz. Now, custom, understand, we covered this last week. This would have been because she was a widow. She had an, an, a right to find the nearest kinsman, to take over the family estate, to follow um, the family line. And so she had this uh, responsibility. So that's why she would have been the one that is going after Boaz. Um, and so Naomi is sending her. Now, when Ruth returns, she's basically saying, <gasps> did he say yes? <laughs> that's what she's asking. And Ruth, probably with great excitement, is looking around the room. She senses some things are different at Naomi's house. She's thinking, Mom, it's really only been about 14, 16 hours since I was here last. What's going on? I mean, I see a wedding dress hanging in the corner. I see a bridal bouquet. And what is that smell? Is that a wedding cake being baked? I mean, what's going on, Naomi? What's going on here? To be a fly on the wall that day when Ruth came back to Naomi and the laughter and the giggles and the wonder and the excitement of what happened at the threshing floor that night with the midnight proposal. So Ruth tells Naomi, not with any disappointment, yeah, the guy who I thought would be my redeemer, the guy who I thought I could trust. The man who has invested in me, he's provided for me, he's expressed love to me, he has done everything of sacrifice for me. And all of a sudden, would you believe this? He said, I'm going to have to wait. Go home and wait. That's, how dare him say that? I mean, don't you think as soon as I said, would you be my man? Don't you think he would have said, I've been waiting hours for you to ask me this? But that didn't happen. Ruth submitted to the guidance of what Boaz was going to tell her, she comes home to Naomi, and they respond with a heart of patience. Now, we have to be prepared to receive the answer to our question as wait. And that's where Ruth is. Like, she asked a very valid, good, godly question. And she's been responded with wait. Boaz said, I'll do everything in my power. So church, when we look at God, his son, Jesus, as our redeemer, and we as the bride of Christ, remember the book of Naomi, or the book of Ruth, is not just some love story and Hallmark movie script. This is all about pointing to Jesus. So it's always directing our attention to that. And so Ruth, as the, the bride of Christ, the church, and Boaz, the redeemer, a picture of Jesus Christ, redeeming the stranger, the outcast, the one who worshiped false gods, the ones who didn't want anything to do with Yahweh until life was changed and transformed. Now we see this incredible picture. 
Whereas when we approach our Redeemer, we say with the request, and he says, wait, I will do everything in my power. I won't rest until it's done. I, I, I won't deceive you. I won't mislead you. And he's going to provide. Now, we have to be prepared when that answer comes. We want people to change. And God says, wait. We want circumstances to get better. And God says, wait. We want finances to be provided. And God says, wait. We want life to happen as we want it to happen. And he says, wait. We want answers to be given. And God says, wait. We want our health to improve. And God says, wait. We want problems to be resolved. And God says, wait. And so in the meantime, we grow. We develop. We strengthen. And we learn to depend on God and watch his work. We need to pray for God's protection. We need to pray for God's encouragement. We need to pray that God would give us this incredible direction in our life that can only come from his peace as we trust in him. I love this thought of trust, keeping our eyes open to God for, for God moments. Do you approach your life in such a strong mode of trust that not only are you guided by perfect peace, Isaiah 26, 3, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. So this trust not only leads to this dependency or this perfect peace on God, but it also allows us to experience God moments and to be able to verify him very quickly that that's, that's what God's doing in my life right now to show himself to be real and to be caring and to be sovereign. And we get so blinded by the wait. Like, like I'm tired of waiting. Oh, in the meantime, God's doing God moments all around me. I don't see it because I'm distracted by waiting. So when God says to you to wait, don't use it as a time to brew bitterness. Don't use it as a time to, to grow this spirit of discontentment. Use it as a time to draw closer to God. On my Facebook feed three years ago today, it just popped up this morning as I was looking at it. And back in 2016, on this date, I had uh, posted some, some lyrics from a song that I had just heard uh, that day and was so encouraged by them about, I, I don't even remember what was going on in my life, but it was just God used it as a God moment. And I, I published them and encouraged somebody else out there. Here's Here's the, here are the lyrics. The song is, I will trust in you. Many of you know the song. You can probably quote the lyrics with me. But here's, here's what the first verse says. Letting go of every single dream, I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wandering never changes what you see. I try to win this war. I confess my hands are weary. I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of the fight, no matter what I face, you're by my side. And then the next verse says, truth is, you know what tomorrow brings. There's not a day ahead of you that you have not seen. So let all things be my life and breath. I want what you want, Lord, and nothing less. Here's how the chorus goes. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. 
When you don't part the waters I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers that I cry out to you, I will trust. I will trust. I will trust in you. Wow. I wonder how many of us are praying for mountains to be moved and waters to be parted and for our answers to be given. And God is simply saying, dear Christian, just sit still and wait. And we say, no, it's too distracting. It's too overwhelming. And he's simply calling for our faith to be stretched, our dependency on him to be tested, and for us to come out on the other side saying, I just trust in you. And so the counsel that Naomi gives in verse number 18 is just, honey, be still. <laughs> like she is looking into the eyes of Ruth who is following every step that she is supposed to take. Boaz has told her to do something. She does it. Naomi says, go do this. Clean yourself. Change your garments. Prepare yourself and, and go and say this and do this at this time. She's done it. And now everybody's saying, sit still and wait. That's not what I want to hear. I mean, have you seen my to-do list? Everything is checked off. I did this, flip it, I did this, and I even did this. And I put a big circle so that you know I did this, and it's done. And now, you say, wait. So Naomi says to Ruth, sit still, be patient, and let God do his work. And so this is about to become the longest day in Ruth's life, and probably Naomi's too. You can see the two ladies in the house, <laughs> probably driving each other insane all day. They hear a chariot drive by. They jump up. They look through the shades. Nope, that wasn't Boaz. They hear somebody knock on the door, run to the door. Oh, it's just a salesman. They jump at every sound. They look at everything that's going on. They watch the sundial in the courtyard just quick, slowly ticking away. They're wondering what's going to happen. So Ruth honestly is powerless to redeem herself. She is powerless to redeem herself. Now, we all came to that place where we realized we were powerless to redeem ourselves. Because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is so clear when it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so it's not by my power, it's not by my redeeming work, it's only by what Jesus Christ has done. And so like Ruth, all that we ever do is tell Christ that we love him and we want to be taken under his authority and care and we want to rest under his wings. And when we do, we discover that Christ loved us first and he is at work on our behalf. So Christ alone is capable of, of meeting the conditions of the law that binds us to, to a guilty verdict. And it was Jesus Christ who died on our behalf as that substitute. And we're thankful for that. We worship that. We celebrate that. We're, we're here today functioning, moving forward because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. But there's some of you in there that are just still doubting that. Like you're really struggling with that. You're a seeker, but you, you're so dependent on yourself. And you say, this religion thing is hogwash. I'll go through the motions, but then I want to be done with it. 
Like I look at all these Christians and I think they're hypocrites. And I look at other people and they try to live this fancy lifestyle on the outside on Sunday, but then they live this worldly, wicked lifestyle behind the scenes. And you know what? The truth is that some of you probably have seen that played out in your life a time or two. But quit blaming people for your issue with eternity because they're not going to stand beside you when you hear some of the darkest, saddest words ever to be told when Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. And you may look at him and say, I attended church at Parkway Baptist Church so consistently every Sunday morning. I carried a Bible. I gave in the offering plate. I was dipped in a baptistry tank. I did everything I could to be kind and loving. But you never surrendered your complete self to the saving power of Jesus Christ. Because you said in the end, I can do it on my own. There's so many things in life that tries to grab your emotions, your attention, your energy, your passions. And that list has been in existence for the last 4,000 years. And it's going to continue until Christ returns. There will be people who will deny Christ because they want to follow their worldly passions. But the truth is, is that there are millions of people in hell today who wish so desperately they could come back and proclaim the truth that hell is real, heaven is real, and Jesus paid the price. What problem do you have with John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life? Like, what problem do you have with Romans 5, 8 that says God commendeth, extended, demonstrated his love toward us? And that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. So, man, your pride is going to hold you back and send you straight to an eternity in hell because you did not want to believe what absolute truth really is. And I'm here to tell you that there are demonstrations and examples all around you of people's lives who have been transformed and changed. Not because a circle of friends who quoted some, some saying together every Friday night. I'm not telling you that people's lives have been changed because of a big pat on the back. I'm not telling you people's lives have been changed because their bank account exploded with lots of money. I'm telling you there are people's lives in here who've been drastically changed because the power of the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ. And so they went and took no more of the bottle of alcohol anymore. They walked away. Drug addicts who walked away. Drug dealers who walked away. People who were in bondage to sin who said, I don't need that anymore because I have Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so, sir, ma'am, I'm so passionate about it because as I pray weekly for Parkway to be a funnel for people to come and see and meet Jesus, it breaks my heart that every week people walk out of our doors and into darkness not because a lack of passion or a lack of message or a lack of truth or a lack of gospel-centered ministry, but because an enemy called the devil who blinds them. And that should call all of us to our knees to pray God would draw them to himself and save their dear soul. So the picture here is that Christ alone pays the price of redemption. And this waiting is not a matter of waiting on, on redemption. It's a matter of waiting for things here to work on our, her behalf. 
And Naomi says, the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. You know, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he never rested until he accomplished his task. Now, in his human sense, he was weary. There were times he slept. He was sleeping in the back of the boat, and the disciples were frazzled. They didn't get it. So, yes, there were times where things did not go well, but we understand that Jesus was always on point. He was always on mission, and he would never rest until the completed work of the cross and of coming back to life over victory of the dead. Now, the passages here in your notes, we don't have time to look at all of them, but the passages of being still, Exodus chapter 14, 13, and so we would ask ourselves, what is our Red Sea? What is the parting of the Red Sea that is in front of us? Because what Moses said to the people is, fear ye not and stand still and see the salvation, the rescue of the Lord. If you're deeply discouraged and very ill, Job is, is told to patiently surrender to God's sovereign will. In Job 37, 14, hearken unto this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. What is your deep discouragement? Nehemiah chapter 8, when the people were troubled over the national sin during their revival under the leadership of Nehemiah and Ezra, the Levites calmed the people with the promise of forgiveness. The priests of the Levite family would come and tell them. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, hold your peace for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. Sit still. So what unconfessed sin is causing you not to be still? Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. What personal enemy is distracting you from being still. Because when you look at Psalm 46, what, what David was writing, he says, I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, David had a lot of things going on in his life where the enemy was fast against him, but he was going to find his refuge in God. Be still. Now, I know this whole trust issue is a, is a big one. And um, sometimes it's easier to say to trust in God than it is to, to trust in God. But when we look at it as our father and our children, I was reminded this past week with one of our daughters, and uh, we were getting ready to go on a ferry boat and to take us from one point to another point, and it was right during one of those uh, Florida lightning storms, and we could see in the distance lightning, and we knew that the operators were wise on the schedule of if we could get on the boat or not, and and so as we're walking up, the daughter looked at me and said, well, now what if the um, boat gets hit by lightning and catches on fire? Like, what are we going to do then? I'm like, well, I don't think that's going to happen, but I mean, we've got a plan, okay? So I just know we've got a plan. Um, then she found out that there were alligators in this, you know, body of water. I'm like, honey, we're in Florida, okay? And so um, it's like, what if, what if we see an alligator? What if an alligator jumps in or what if an alligator does something? And, and uh, so it's okay, well, uh, you know, I'm stronger than an alligator, so just calm down, Okay. <laughs> And then it was uh, once we got on the boat and got going, you know, it was either the engine was too loud or the engine was too soft, right? So it's like one or the other. And, uh, and, then, and then there was a boat that came the other way and caused a little bit of waves on this lake. And, and so that's mm, nerve-wracking and, and, and had to just really help this, this daughter to understand. And I said, hey, you can trust mommy and daddy's decision to put you in this position 
that everything's going to be okay. And if something were to happen, um, we're in control and we're going we're to help the situation. And then I said something very important. I said, girl, stop watching the news, all right? Because the news doesn't help. <laughs> I mean, all of those stories come from the news. But then I got to thinking. <laughs> in my own frustration, I thought, why can't she just trust daddy? And then I thought, wow. What am I struggling with right now in my life that I don't trust my daddy? I'm thankful that God's not frustrated. I'm thankful that God doesn't just throw me in the boat and say, deal with it. I'm thankful that God doesn't pretend like nothing bad is going to happen. But what I am thankful for is that God says, I'm in control. And sometimes he has to say to us, would you just sit still and wait? I don't like it, and I know you don't either. But what Ruth is teaching us is that the sovereign God has what's best for us in mind. So don't be distracted and focus in on what God has for your life at this moment. It's not unraveling like you want. I get it. It's not all falling into place in your timeline. I get that. But as God's bride, we can return back to the mother-in-law's house with what he's provided in the barley. And somebody can look at us in the eyes with such kindness and love and say, sit still. Because your redeemer is going to do everything he can to return for you. <laughs> I'm thankful for that truth.